Watching, listening to Philip, uh, I was just thinking if I was trying to do that with those bells, it would be such a disaster. <laughs> They'd be flying off the table and you wouldn't recognize any tunes. That's pretty amazing what he's able to do. So he's a very gifted individual. He's with Steiger and we're just uh, privileged to have him as part of our church. Well, this is the last message in our series on the four Christmas gifts. We have talked about things like hope and peace and love and today if I could give all of you a gift the gift that I would love for you to have would be this beautiful gift called joy I wish that I could give every one of you joy I can't but God can he has and yet we still sometimes struggle to realize it in our lives and that's what we're going to be looking at today so as we get started, I want to draw your attention to a couple passages of Scripture that speak about joy. The first one is found in Luke chapter 2. If you want to follow along, I'll read it for us. And then we're going to look at another passage in John chapter 16. So just kind of listen for joy in both these passages. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And then from John chapter 16, verse 20. Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief. But I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy." In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Would you pray with me, Father, as we come to this last gift that we're looking at this season, I pray and ask that you would help us to understand joy and please help us to experience it in the depths of our being. In Jesus' name. Amen. I was doing a little bit of reading in preparation for this message, and I came across a very interesting article. <clears throat> and the article is a little bit uh, humorous, but it's about a company in Leipzig, Germany. It's called Newswerk, and they're an IT company. 
and they had a problem. The problem was a uh, female employee who was grumpy all the time. And evidently, she was kind of casting a shadow over the entire uh, rest of the employees, making everybody kind of dour and grumpy. And so the, the heads of the company got together and decided that they needed to do something about this, so they enacted a policy uh, in order to bring some joy into their company. And so every year, uh, every employee must actually read it and sign it as a statement as part of their contract. Now, I didn't make this up. This comes right out of the article. Here's the policy statement. It goes like this. You will be happy in the office, and you won't whine anymore at work. <laughs> now, my last name is actually pronounced Hummel, so I come from German descent, so I can speak this language, all right? And so this is literally what was put out, and they had to sign it. And the result has been improved morale. According to manager Thomas Kuwach, she, that is the offender, used to moan so much that the other employees complained about her complaining. Once it was part of the contract, however, our employees really started to think positively. Do you believe that, or were they just afraid of being fired? You know, you can't, you can't make people be hopeful. You can't make them be peaceful. You can't make them be loving, and you can't make them be joyful. Maybe you can bribe them. Maybe you can intimidate and threaten them, and maybe you can get away for it for a little while. But eventually, our true nature comes out who we really are. That's because unless you experience it, you can't, you can't give it away. You can't demonstrate it. And so we've been talking in this series that so oftentimes, hope and peace and love and joy become very circumstantial. We only, we only uh, experience that or we only uh, impart that to others if our circumstances are just right. Well, the problem is circumstances are just that. They're circumstantial. They're right today and then tomorrow they're not so right. So how, how do I live joyfully no matter what my circumstances may be like? That's what we're going to explore together. And I've got several principles for you. If you don't get them all, because I've got several, you can go on our blog. We'll get them up there on Monday. By Tuesday, you should be able to go back if you want to and jot them down. So here's our first principle. You will be joyful in church, and you won't whine anymore about the church. <clears throat> not really. That's not really the first principle. I just couldn't help it. Would that be nice? Would that be nice if you could do that at your home? You will be happy in that home. <laughs> anyway, all right, let's go uh, before I get carried away and get started with our really honestly our first true principle. Here it is. Ready? Joy is more a state of blessing than an emotion. Joy is more a state of blessing than it is an emotion. I want you to do me a, a favor for just a moment. I know you're probably jotting something down, but just for a moment, I want you to stick your hands out like I'm going to give you something, all right? Just kind of hold them out, all right? Now, imagine I'm giving you joy. Take it now and then hug it. All right, so use your imagination. See, joy isn't coming from you. Joy isn't coming from your circumstances. Joy is a blessing that God gives us. And that's how you have to think of joy. Same thing with peace and hope and love and patience and kindness and the rest of the fruit of the Spirit. It's something bestowed on me, and I take it. And it's bestowed on me from God. 
the angels come and they bestow peace to the shepherds. Mary has, has uh, the Son of God imparted into her womb from the Holy Spirit. The Lord Jesus, as he ministered throughout the Gospels, would impart something to someone that didn't come from the circumstances. It came from him. And so if I really want to understand joy, I've got to realize that joy comes from the Lord. And i got to stop looking for it in my relationships, in my money, in my success, in sex, in you know, material things, in whatever the world is putting out there that says, this ultimately is your source of joy. Which leads us then to the next principle, makes a whole lot of sense. Joy is based on a relationship with Jesus. That's what joy, ultimate joy, truly is based on. Look what it says in John chapter 15, verse 9. Jesus says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. So the love I'm receiving from God is, is, is a divine love. Then he says, remain, he's going to use this word over and over again, remain in, that's my job, my love. Well, how do I do that? Well, one of the ways I do that is I obey his commandments. You remain in, he says, you remain in my love. So there we go again, if I do that. Just as I obey my father's commandments. Isn't that interesting? Jesus said, I'm not asking you to do anything I don't do. I obey my father's commandments and remain in. In his love. I have told you these things that you will be filled with what? My joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Why? Because your joy is his joy. My joy is his joy. Now, when's the last time our joy, your joy, overflowed? Maybe it was an experience. Maybe it was a gift. Maybe it's something wonderful that happened in your life. But that's not the joy we're talking about. It's circumstantial. The joy we're talking about is a God-given joy. It's a joy that's put into our lives. It's the spilling over of Jesus' joy into my life. And then it is the spilling out of that joy in my life toward others. We could spend a lot of time just on that verse, unpacking it. And maybe you'll want to meditate on that a little further as well. You know, it's the flu season, right? And everybody's afraid of catching the flu. So be careful who you touch and what you touch and wash your hands often, right? Well, as much as I don't want you to catch the flu, I would love for you to be contagious when it comes to joy. I love for us to catch the joy of the Lord. And I love for us to give away the joy of the Lord. That would be a good thing to do this time of year, don't you think? Because the love of God pursues us. The love of God is wanting us. The love of God is longing for us. You know, I think one of the most amazing passages is in John chapter 13, verse 1. Right before Jesus is about to be betrayed by Judas, he'll be later denied by, by Peter, it says in verse 1 that he loved his own to the very end. You know, when Judas came to betray Jesus, it says that Jesus called him friend. Jesus will love you all the way to the gates of hell. And if you still don't want his love, you refuse his love, then you'll go into the eternity you choose for yourself. But he loves you. He wants you. He longs to put you back in a right relationship with his Father, our Father in heaven. We are loved by God. You are loved by God. You are 
pursued by God. And joy comes from that relationship with God. Let's look at another principle. Joy is placed into our lives through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. So joy is placed into our lives through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. In that scene in Luke chapter 1, verse 35, the angel comes to Mary and says, you're going to concede the Messiah. And Mary doesn't know how this can be because she's a virgin. She's never known a man. And the angel speaks to her and says to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. In other words, God will make this happen in your womb. Well, you have a womb and I have a womb as well, a spiritual womb. Think of it as your soul, that part that's not your body, so to speak. When I receive Christ into my life, God sends his spirit into my life. When I ask God to forgive me, when I give my life to him, he imputes or he places his very presence into my life. Listen to what it says in Galatians 4. It says, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law. The law condemned. So he was sent to remove the condemnation from us. He took it on himself. So that he could adopt us as his very own children. Imagine that. If you're a believer, you are a child of God. You've been adopted into his family. And because we are his children, now watch what happens. God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call, say it with me, Abba, Father. The most endearing term used still in Israel today in the Hebrew language means Daddy, Father. So Jesus makes us right with God, and then God sends the spirit of his son into our hearts. The question is, am I conscious of that? And I just think about how many days in my life I am not conscious of that. How many days in my life I just get up and I think about God out there someplace. But I don't realize that he's living here. And therefore I don't actualize or realize his presence in my life and therefore I don't have joy because I'm I'm relying on myself for joy I'm relying on the world for my joy and that just never works it's interesting because one more chapter over in Galatians 5 verse 22 we have the listening of fruit of the spirit love then joy joy see joy is one of the manifestations or evidences that God lives in my life not human joy but the joy of the Lord, the joy of being loved by him, the joy of being forgiven, the joy of being saved, the joy of being, knowing that I have eternal life waiting for me, the joy of knowing I have a new body coming someday. That's the joy that we're supposed to hang on to. And the question is, well, how do I realize that joy? Well, I need to be filled with God's spirit. Ephesians 5.18, Paul says, and don't go, uh, and don't be drunk with wine which is in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. What he's saying in that passage, he's, he's, saying, he's not saying it's wrong to drink wine, but he's saying it's wrong to drink anything that takes over your senses, that takes over your spirit, that now you know, controls you and you say and do things you otherwise wouldn't say or do. He said, don't let that happen to you. 
That's sin. He says, instead, be drunk with the Holy Spirit. Be inebriated with the Spirit. Instead of a DUI, have a LUI, living under the influence of the Spirit. Wouldn't you like to be around more people who are living under the influence of the Holy Spirit? I mean, that would be amazing, right? Because then our whole attitude and spirit and demeanor is so different when we're living under the influence of the Holy Spirit. But what does it mean to live under the influence of the Holy Spirit? It means to surrender full control to Him. And the best illustration I can think of this week anyway is when I was learning uh, how to swim as a kid. I'm not a great swimmer. I finally learned how. It took a long time. I was very afraid of the water because usually when I see something placed in water, it sinks. And I tried to breathe underwater. It doesn't work very well. And so they were trying to teach me to float on my back. And I I still, I mean, it was so traumatic. I I still remember the feeling. I was so scared. And, and, you know, lay, lay back and just float there. Well, that's easy to say, right? But you lay back and I would start to tense up. And the moment I would tense up, then I'd sink. So then they'd place their hands underneath me. Just relax. Hold, just take a deep breath. Hold it. Just relax. Just relax. Now just breathe. And then, you know, they kind of move their hands away. And, you know, for a few seconds, he's like, whoo, I'm floating. I'm floating. It's like, I'm floating. You start to sink because you stiffen up. See, that's what happens to us in life. We try to rest in the spirit and everything's going well until all of a sudden we get a bad diagnosis or we have a relational problem or something goes wrong at work or something happens in a situation and we jerk, we stiffen up right away and we start to sink. I've got to learn to rest in the spirit at all times, no matter what my situation is. That's when, that's when I'll come to know, I'll come into the knowledge of of the joy of the Lord, the joy that the Lord has for me and for you. Let me ask you a question. If you were to compare floating on your back in the water to resting in the Holy Spirit right now, how are you doing in your life right now? Are you resting in the Spirit? Or is there an area in your life you're just having a hard time surrendering to Him? Sometimes I feel like every day it's something new. I have to learn to surrender or re-surrender to Him. And so it's a process, isn't it? It's a process, a learning process that we go through. Next principle, joy and suffering can coexist together, which kind of goes against how we think. Because we think to ourselves, if I'm having joy, it's probably because I'm not suffering or experiencing sadness. Or if I'm experiencing suffering or sadness, that means I don't have joy. Nope, in the Bible, the two go together. In fact, someone has said, that as a Christian, what you're going to discover is your joy will grow as your sadness will grow. They grow together. You say, what do you mean by that? I said at last service, somebody kind of laughed because they thought I was being funny about it. But it, it's true. When you become a Christian, your joy grows because you're walking with the Lord. Your sadness grows because you see people who aren't walking with the Lord. And you know what they're missing out on. And it makes you sad for them. Makes you sad for them. So you can be joyful and sad at the same time. But we're talking about the coexistence of joy and suffering. <clears throat> Let's look at what Jesus says about it. John chapter 16. Verily, truly, I tell you, you'll weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You'll grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. Then he uses this illustration to his disciples. Remember, he's getting them ready for the fact that he's going to die. 
but he'll rise again. And the fact that he's going to leave and then they're going to go out, they're going to face persecution, but not to give up hope. He says, you will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. Now, obviously, I've never given birth to a child, but I have witnessed it firsthand when Marcia gave birth to two of our children, our, our, our natural children. Um, I remember when Ben, our oldest, was, was first born, our first child, was over in Waconia, actually. We were going to college at the time. And it was cold January morning, and Marcia started feeling contractions, so we got everything packed up and headed to the hospital, and we checked in. And, you know, back then it was pretty standard how they delivered babies. You didn't have the birthing rooms, et cetera. So we went into the, into the room, and they hooked her up on the monitor, and, and that monitor would kind of let you know when the contractions were coming, right? And, and as it increases, there's more pain, and I kind of watch her. She'd be okay, and then all of a sudden, oh, there it would go, and she'd just be, ah, oh, in anguish, and then it would diminish. Well, I love medicine, and uh, I, I just I have so much respect for doctors and nurses and, and all folks who work in medicine, and part of me just kind of wishes I, I could do that as well. So when I go in a hospital, I kind of enjoy it. Uh, because I just, I just love the, what's going on. I just like the idea you're helping people. And so I'm in the room, and I'm just enthralled with all the gadgets she's hooked up to. And I realized I could kind of pretend I was a doctor in there. I could tell her when the contractions were coming because I could see the monitor. So I'd say to her, here comes one. And then it would beep and beep and beep. And sure enough, I'd watch it happen to her. And then I'd go, well, I'm just going to start telling her when they come. So I say, here comes another one. After about four or five of those, she told me to shut up. <laughs> she didn't need me to interpret it. She felt them, no problem. And then finally it was time for the baby to come, and, and uh, the baby was born, our son Ben was born. And I will never forget this as long as I live. When they take the baby, our son, and placed him in her arms, the elation and the joy that filled her face was just amazing, from grimacing to absolute joy. It's like all the pain had been forgotten, and all she could focus on was this bundle of love that she was nurturing now and bonding with and loving. Incidentally, I kind of stood there with my hands in my pockets thinking to myself, what did I just do? The responsibility of it, whoom, settling on me. But I'll never forget the joy. I'll never forget it. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's saying right now you might be going through some pain and suffering in your life, or you may go through some, and some of you are. It may be relational. It may be physical. It may be financial. I, I, you know, I obviously don't know what it might be. I can guess. And what the Lord is saying is that, listen, it's not the end of the world. Joy comes in the morning. Your morning is coming. And it may not be till the Lord returns or till you pass on into eternity, but there is joy on its way. And see, what we've got to learn to do is, is live by this principle of heaven on earth. Jesus prayed on earth as it is in heaven. You need to borrow what is yours. We're seated in Christ's heavenly places. Borrow it and live it now. Live on that joy now. And focus less on ourselves and our circumstances 
and learn to focus on what Christ has done for us, digging down deep to his presence. You know, Jesus doesn't ask us to do something he's not willing to do. Hebrews chapter 12, amazing chapter, starts out in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses who want to say to us, it's worth it, hang in there, the joy far outweighs what you're going through right now. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. See, where are your eyes fixed right now? That's the big question, isn't it? Who or what are my eyes fixed on? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy, there it is, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners that you will not grow weary and lose heart because it's easy to grow weary and it's easy to lose heart in this world for lots of reasons. But the writer's saying, remember Jesus who endured the cross, terrible death, a shameful death, but he did not scorn the shame. But for the joy he went through, the joy of what? The joy of the resurrection? Sure, the joy of glorifying the Father? Yes. But the great joy was winning us back into relationship with the Father, putting us right again with God. Next month, we're going to talk about identity. And one of the first things we're going to talk about is the most important verse in the Bible. C.S. Lewis said it's, it's Genesis 1-1, in the beginning was God. Nothing else matters if that's not true. In the beginning was God. Everybody knows something's wrong with the world. Everybody knows it. Even, even the atheists know something's not right with the world. And you can't explain it any other way. If you say, well, the reason things aren't right with the world is because it's a materialistic world we live in. There is no God. It's just, it's just, it, it's just machines. It's just mechanics and biology and here today and gone tomorrow. Then how do you explain evil in the world? There's something wrong in the world. And what's wrong in the world is we're not starting with God. And when we start with God, then we understand what's wrong in the world, and then we understand what God's done to fix what's wrong in the world, and then we understand the hope of restoration. And then that gives us joy, no matter what is taking place in this crazy world that you and I live in today. All right? Let's move on and look at another principle. Here we go. How we see ourselves affects how we think about joy. <clears throat> how we see ourselves affects how we think about joy. Imagine that, the shepherds. They're the least. They're the lowliest. They're unclean. They can't even go to the temple to worship God. And the shepherds that the angels came to were probably the ones who raised the lambs that were used for sacrifice at the temple. So I raised the animals for sacrifice, but I can't go to the temple for my sacrifice. And God chooses to reveal himself to them. And they were so excited afterwards, they ran to Bethlehem to see what the angels had said, and there he was, and then they ran out of Bethlehem so excited to tell everybody. And I'm sure for years to come around the campfire, they talked about that night when the angels spoke to them, and God told them first Messiah had been born. Wow. What a privilege, huh? 
how I look at life, how I look at myself, affects my joy. But think about the Pharisee in Jesus' parable. Remember the Pharisee who stands there and he says to God, yeah, I'm so glad I'm not like other sinners. I'm a pretty good guy. You're lucky to have me. I'm paraphrasing there a bit. The tax collector, what did he do? He couldn't lift his head up. He says he banged his chest. He said, have mercy on me. I am such a sinner. Now, who appreciates grace the most? The one who thinks they deserve it or the one who believes they don't deserve it, but they're given it? It's the one who didn't think they should have it, but they're given that grace. They're overjoyed. Somebody would do that for them. Sometimes, you know, we, we forget about how good God has been to us. We get focused on ourselves. We start feeling sorry for ourselves. Sometimes we even take on the attitude that God owes us something. I know Christians like this. Good people who just kind of get lost in what's going on. They don't understand why God's not working in their life. They don't understand why they have to suffer, why they've received a string of bad luck. I give so much. I've served so much. I've sacrificed so much. God, why are you doing this to me? And I'm going to guess all of us at some point will have that thought go through our mind. I just hope we can recover and remember we don't deserve anything from God. And he's given us the best. A beautiful example to me of what it means to have joy is my wife, Marcia's mom, who uh, was diagnosed recently with acute leukemia. And so she's had, having to start, or she's already started chemotherapy. And the first time she went in for her chemo treatment, she was obviously apprehensive, never done it before, and what's this going to be like, and, you know, all the thoughts that, that must go through a person's mind, and some of you know this personally. And she uh, went to uh, walk in the, uh, the, through the door into the room where they were going to give her the chemo, and, and what she expected was a little room with a chair for her. But when she walked in, there was this long bank of chairs against the wall. She was not the only one. There are a whole bunch of people for all kinds of reasons getting various forms of chemo for the cancer that they were suffering. And it was a dour place. It was not a happy place. And she took her seat and got her chemo and just, you know, the feelings that go with that. Well, afterwards, she and Marcia went shopping. And they were shopping and kind of talking about the whole experience. And her mom saw a shirt that Marcia bought for her. And she said, I want this shirt because she said... When I go to chemo, I'm going to wear this shirt all the time. And here's a picture of her with her shirt that says joy on it. She says, when I go in, she says, no matter what happens to me, I have the joy of my salvation. And I want to make that joy known. Now that, see, that's true joy. Joy, joy says it doesn't matter what's going on, you know, in me and around me. Don't like it necessarily, scared about it. But you know what? I'm not going to forget what true joy is all about. That's my relationship with the Lord. How about you? Can you say that? Does the joy of the Lord override your circumstances? It may take a while to get there, but you can. You can. Next principle. Joy can always be restored in our lives. Sometimes we lose our joy. Things happen in our lives. You know the whole story about David, right? You know, David wrote a lot about joy. He did. Psalm 4, 7, he said, You have given me greater joy than those who have abundant harvests of grain and new wine. And you keep reading the Psalms, man, the joy, this, joy, that. It's like, wow, David is a joyful guy. Then one day he meets Bathsheba. 
He's taking a bath, and he sees her and brings her to, has her brought to his room, and they have an affair, and they have a child, and he's got to get rid of her husband, and he has his, her husband murdered, and he covers the whole thing up, and then one day he's found out by the prophet Nathan. And all of a sudden, the joy just went out of his life. I had to believe there wasn't much joy the moment he sinned. I imagine he must have been troubled so much. But when he finally came to terms with it, he went back to God in Psalm 51 and verse 7. And he said, purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. You know, I've talked to some people who've been very candid with me and, and have just told me, I can't stand David. I don't care if God forgave him. I can't stand him. I don't like what he did. Well, I don't like what he did either. Aren't you glad, though, that God doesn't judge you the way you and I might judge David? God does forgive when we're truly repentant. And he can restore the joy of our salvation. He may have to suffer and deal with very difficult circumstances, which David did the rest of his life. We can still find joy, joy that is in the Lord. One more principle. This comes from Tim Keller. I love this. When you long for joy in the world but nothing fulfills it, you realize you were created for more than this world. We're all shopping for joy right now, aren't we? How many of you are done shopping? Bless you. How many of you are still shopping? Hurry. <laughs> Thanks for coming to church this weekend. So, Slaving away at the mall. Some people saw you raise your hand, they're worried, they're related to you. <laughs> Why do we go shop, right? We want to buy something to give somebody that we hope, we hope will bring joy to them. Some kind of joy to them, something that will open up. And it's like just a little thing, joy. But here's the problem. What the world offers us joy doesn't last. Doesn't last. It's here and then it's gone. But what God offers us lasts eternally. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Is it yours? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for joy and uh, for clarifying for us that joy has nothing to do with our health our wealth, our circumstances, or even our relationships to other people. Joy comes from the Lord. It's a relationship with you, Father, through Jesus, your Son, who shed his blood that we might be forgiven and brought into relationship with you. And we rejoice in that and thank you. Lord, we want to invite you this morning to be the joy of our lives. We want to invite you, Lord, to fill us with your joy that we might be able to say, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And Father, if there's anybody here who's lost that joy because of sin, I just pray, God, they would be mindful of 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, you are faithful and just. Forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. May we receive that cleansing now as we confess our sins to you.
Lord, I pray, teach us to float on our backs. To just rest in upon the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray this Christmas we'd experience more joy than we've ever done before. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Hey, listen, before you go, stay seated. Because it's one thing to talk about receiving joy. It's an awesome experience to give joy away. And, you know, we were collecting boots for people. And uh, our team went and gave boots away this weekend. And uh, one of our partners who goes to Wooddale Church uh, is a sergeant in the police force. And he did this little video because he was involved. He's helped really link us up with the homeless in downtown. And you got to listen hard. I don't know if you guys can turn it up, but... But listen to this. It's a rough cut from an iPhone, but watch this lady who, whose name is Grace, by the way. Watch this. Hey, I just wanted to take a second to introduce you to one of my buddies out here. Grace is out here on the corner. She's out in the snow. Um, she's signing, uh, and I met her today. Grace uh, is wearing tennis shoes, right? Yeah. How are those tennis shoes holding cold, up? Cold, cold. They're summer tennis shoes. They're, They're not summer even tennis leather. shoes. Yeah, right. And yeah. so because of the because of the the Grace and because of the your name's Grace too, yes. so that's kind of yeah. funny, right? Uh, yeah. Because of the generosity of our friends at Wooddale Church, I just wanted to show a big throw a big shout out and. Um, Grace wanted to say thank you for these wonderful new pair of boots that thank we're gonna we're gonna give her. So here you, you go, Grace. You. Size eight, right? Did yep, you say yep, size eight? Size eight. All right, all right. Will you enjoy it? God bless you too, kiddo. And you be safe and what have a great winter. Right <laughs> Put them on. Let's let's see how that looks. Here, I'm gonna flip this back around here. There's Grace. She's gonna throw those on. There we go. She looks pretty excited to get those boots on. All right. Thanks, Wooddale. That cool? Yeah. So that's that's who we are are trying to be at all of our campuses is to bless others through the many different we are for activities. So um, just just want you to see it so you know you've made someone's day and a whole bunch of other people's as well. Let's stand and uh, as you go. Go with joy, even if you're going shopping now. You're dismissed. <laughs>